Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Orient Hour. Good evening, everybody. My name is Billy Herring, and I am here with Sam Monday and Jamie Stripe, who are just about to uh, steal some cakes that are in the corner, by the looks of things, lads. Left by the cricket guys. What a good show, by the way. Heroes. Yes, very good show, actually, yeah. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm going to say well done to them. Fantastic. Right, so, on to Orient News. Well, what a week it's been. Yeah, hey. unbelievable week. Um, unbelievable week performance at Morecambe. <laughs> Jamie, I'll let you start off then. Go on, go for it. You were at Morecambe, tell me. How was the feeling walking into the ground to start off with? Uh, you know, quite enthusiastic. You know, even though like we dropped points home to Carlo the week before, you took one look at the table and you thought, do you know what, win this today, we can really ensconce ourselves in the top half of the table and look towards the playoffs. And a couple of hours later, walk, walking out, feeling quite deflated. Yeah. All right, well, look, let's go through the team line-up in bits and pieces. We'll start at the very beginning and go from there. So, we lined up with uh, Brilliant Goal, Widdowson, Happy, Coulson and Ekpateta at the back, with Wright, Clay and Marsh, and then Brophy, Harold and Dayton. Uh, Sam, initial thoughts on the line-up? Um, well, it seems to be, you know, this is the line-up that, well, this is the formation that uh, Fletch wants to play. Um, and he said, we'll come on that later in terms of whether he sees it as a 4-5-1 or not. But with our problems up front, you know, I don't really see what other formation he could have gone with. Basically, Matt Harold has been, you know, one of the. I think he was shortlisted for the Player of the Month. He's had a great, you know, great few uh, few games for us recently. And you know, when a player's in form, makes him undroppable. So you've got to put him in there. Uh, we're not blessed with you know fruitful strikers at the moment. So it made sense to me. Yeah, I mean, obviously, Wilco was on the bench. Do you think he obviously he came on and then he went off injured? Do we think he came in with the injury, Jamie? I don't think so. Um, it, did, it didn't look like he was struggling when he first came on. I think when he picked the injury up, I think he'd just gone in for a challenge and landed awkwardly and just went down in a heap. It was literally seconds after they got their winner. Yeah. And he went down like, this looks, this looks bad. And the next thing you know, we've got the sub on. So sure. I don't think he was carrying an injury. I just think he just had a, a, a bad fall, an unlucky twist. In that case then, if he wasn't carrying an injury, so we'd played Dayton and Brophy over Wilkinson, what do you make of that? I think a lot of people thought we should have gone on two, two up front because obviously we're playing the bottom side. Um, sort of tend to agree with that because don't forget we also had options on the bench. We also had um, Dennis and we had Alabi. Now Alabi, I'd say, is an impact sub, but you could have gone, you could have started off with Wilkinson and you could have started off with Dennis mm. just to test them out a bit. I mean, Morecambe started with two up front. Or, you know, they they weren't particularly good. 
but at least there was some intent there. And I think a lot of people complaining about the result on Saturday would point to why do we go to a, a team like Morecambe playing only one frontline striker? I must admit, I mean, uh, yeah, again, agreed, agreed why are we playing only one, like, one mainline striker, shall we say. I would have liked to see Wilkinson star. What really shocked me, though, I'll be honest with you, is Clay over Gorman. Because I think that actually, okay, if you're going to go with a 4-3-3, it can become three attacking players if we've got the ball and we're driving forward. But it seemed to me that, um, you know, Clay has not had the best of seasons thus far, in my opinion. He's certainly not uh, playing to the standards that he set last year. Um, and Gorman has played well. So Well, um, I mean, the thing is, Craig Clay was our you know, player of the season last year. You know, we know there's a, a, a good player in it. Mid, midfield for me is a bit of a bugbear. We've got several players who seem to do the same or, or similar jobs. In that they all, you know, they will, they will sit back in front of the of the back four. I don't think there's enough variety in our midfield. I you know, coming back to what Jamie said, I love to see Dennis get a start. I think you know he's, there's a lot of quality. You know, he shows flashes of quality, um, and you know also in the Brighton game, which we'll come on to, but. He, he probably played Craig Clay because he knew it was going to be a bit of a kick scramble kind of game, mm. um, and you know Craig does you know good at breaking up play and setting setting he, stuff he in gets motion. A foot in, yeah. Whereas Gorman will take it on, and at least Gorman is a midfielder who will have a shot. You know, which is another bugbear of mine. You know, our midfield don't seem to be willing to to shoot from outside the box at all. It's all about get it away, get it in. Um, I do like that about Gorman and uh, and having a shot. But the other thing is, I'm going to disagree with you there because I think Josh Wright is someone who doesn't mind having a shot. I mean, he's scored a couple of goals from the end of the box this season. Absolutely. Fair enough. Fair point. We'll discuss this after. Really. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, I think I would like to see more goals coming from our midfield. You know, mm. Craig Clay, for example, will not shoot from out, from outside the area. He'll always try and look to lay it off. And that's fine. But then when you've got, you know, Marsh doesn't seem to be doing that either. Um, Goodman will have a strike, but seems to be reluctant to do that. And right, yes, I'll take your point. He has scored from you know from distance, but it just doesn't seem to be having happening enough. Is more more my point. I think it would be interesting to see Dennis up front with someone like Harold. I think Luke Dennis has really struggled the physicality of the league this year. Yeah. To me, he seems to have been uh, you know I think he's been knocked off the ball too easily at times, and certainly yeah, he's, with, he's with a his, different sort of yeah, player. That you know he, he, he can't play with his back to goal, in my opinion. But if you put Harold up front with him then potentially you've got that little and large combination. I think Jim. this season we've kind of struggled finding an identity for the side, you know, regarding formations, how we defend, how we go forward. And I think what Fletcher might be trying to install is if we just play a lone striker up front with someone just playing off of him and in the midfield coming in and making up the numbers when we go forward, I think that's what he's looking for from his midfielders. Now, the thing is, have we got the personnel to do it? I agree that Josh Wright on Saturday was our only midfielder who really looked like a threat getting into the box late. I mean, he almost scored late on in the game. He had a flick header just go away. So he was actually getting in there. Not many other people making up the numbers. I think we really struggled to impose ourselves. In that, that first half, we were never on the front foot. I think we, li really, we literally really picked up where we left off against Carlisle. And the second half, they came out, and like Fletcher said, they were a little bit, a little bit better. Forced a few corners, but like I said, we never, never really had a prolonged spell of pressure, and we were banging on the door. And the best chance came from you know, a centre back, you know, which kind of you know, says a lot. Basically, a scramble in the goal mouth, and the centre back's looking to turn and, and, and knock it in. Apart from that, you know, like Jamie said, the, the cross that flashed across and kind of hit Josh Wright. 
And he was unlucky with that. To be fair. It was a good, good save by the keeper. But, it wow. was a good save, but I think Joshua was re- a little bit unlucky because I don't think he was quite expecting the ball to come at him as it did because the ball shot through at pace. I just thought it took a little deflection as it on the way in, so it came onto him. So he was, it, it, the ball kind of hit him rather than him put his foot in and sent in, in, in directing it. So you know, obviously he got it on target, but he was just a, a, he was a little bit unlucky there. And to be fair, it could have gone anyway. Looking at it back again on on YouTube, it does just it comes in and before you know where it is, it's just squirming wide of the post. So it could have gone absolutely anywhere. And then you're talking about a different different result completely, obviously. Yeah, you may have heard some uh, rustling then as uh, Steve Jenkins has entered the studio. Steve, how are you? Not too bad considering the traffic. It's a nightmare. It took me over 40 minutes to get out of Romford. Oh, yeah, never mind. <laughs> um, so, Steve, what did you make of the game on uh, Saturday? I'll bring you in on that point. I well, thought we lacked cohesion, shall we say. Well, I wasn't at the game, so I wouldn't be fair to me to make a, a solid judgment. But, you know, so I'm busy doing other things, as I'll talk about shortly. But, uh, you know, disappointing result. And um, that's all I can say about it, really, you know. Yeah. Uh, Sam, I mean, as I said earlier, I, th- I think we lack cohesion. We, we just, as, as Jamie mentioned, you know, I thought in flashes we looked all right, we knocked the ball about, but we didn't seem to have, an art- not that we didn't seem to have an idea, how do I phrase this, we just didn't seem to link up well. Certainly the midfield to the attack, the, the play in the final third was poor, I thought. Mm. I mean, the thing is, um, Fletcher's going to bring his own, he's got his own philosophy on how he wants the team to play. So if he's taking the view that I'll find a system that I want and then I'll bring the players into, you know, or I'll use the players that I've got to best play that system, that's going to take games in order to, to get that working. You know, we saw against Carlisle, which we spoke about last week, really, you know, the archetypal game of two halves, it really was. And this one, you're trying to get things together, maybe it doesn't work. You've got all the, the usual football cliches of horrible weather, bad pitch, team at the bottom of the league, haven't won for ages, just lost their manager. Of course, it's going to be one they'll win for them. Of course, you know, yeah. there's all all, the, all, the, all all that sort of thing coming into play. But it, you know, he said in these other interviews, he you know he doesn't see that four five one, maybe in the same way that a lot of supporters see it. You know, he he's sees it that's, as a four yeah, three three. He sees it as you know there are goals elsewhere. I'm you know I'm not so sure if there are that many goals elsewhere. But he's the head coach. He's setting up the team how he wants them to play. He's got the job. You've you know you've got to let him. You've got to give him time to to do that. And it's not going to happen overnight as we know. All right, well, going on to that interview then, after the Morecambe game. So, um, Fletcher said, uh, we were flat first half, so my first question is, why were we flat first half? Because surely, the players should be going out there and trying to impress the new manager. Yeah, well, if we all knew that, we'd be millionaires, wouldn't we, Billy? Ah, right. Well, hang on. i tell you what, I'm glad you said that, because I'm going to bring you up on that, and here's the reason why. I think he's got a lot of unfair stick for that interview in so much as what he said there. Because being someone who presents a live radio show, sometimes when you're on doing an interview live, you do say stupid things and you make mistakes. I will take myself back to the last show that we did, <laughs> where I turned around and said, yep, yeah, we started with five at the back, and then I got absolutely massacred elsewhere, <laughs> shall we say, uh, because we didn't start with five at the back. And I knew we didn't start with five at the back, but once I'd said it, I couldn't then take it back. So. Sometimes people make mistakes in interviews and they will, you know, say things that they don't either mean or they don't necessarily see how it will come across. Well, I saw um, somebody put on the uh, on the message board, well, the, the one message board that's currently up, um, they, they'd like us to discuss why um, he, uh, Fletch seemed to struggle with um, uh, unanswered to the question of why were we so flat. I think it's a bit of a, 
bit of a hospital pass in terms of a question really you can't really then turn around and say oh we were flat because those idiots weren't doing what i told them to do or you know I've, you know he's sort of oh we'd all be millionaires it, it's a question that doesn't really have an answer you can prepare the team the best you want you know and there's there's managers and teams that have done it at far higher level than than than, than orient at, at morecambe um you know and it just hasn't worked out sometimes it doesn't come together you know you, if you say why didn't it work you know benefit of hindsight you know, or you go, well, I don't really know. I don't really know it didn't happen. And That's we, not how we set up to play. That's not what yeah. I wanted from my team. And we don't know what was said in the dressing room at the end of the day. He might have gone into the dressing room and give them an all an absolute rocket. Well, this, this but is, if yeah. he comes out after the first game in charge and says, well, I've gone back there and I've told the boys this isn't good enough, what sort of message does that send out, James? Yeah, he'd be getting stick for that. I think the bit that's stuck in people's craw is, or with that comment, is that they've just seen a really poor performance from Orient. And it's nothing that we've not seen down the years under any manager or in, away from home, especially when we're playing a, a poor side and we end up losing by the old goal. And they've come out, he's come out and said that, and people have just played the best part of a one for a day out to see Orient put in a performance like that. And you know what, you can't blame a few people for being angry at it yeah. or taking it the wrong way. On the other hand, you're right. I mean, if he'd have come out and said, you know, I've absolutely thrown everybody under the bus on that interview, you know, people saying, well, how do you expect to get your players over? So, it's a little bit damned if you do, damned if you don't. And also, you've got to remember, he's not managed in the league for five years. right? So he's probably gone from under uh, low manager, under 21 manager, where all it is is about performance and you don't have to justify it to an audience afterwards, to going out on a Saturday afternoon after a bad result, where on the Saturday when the result is everything. You know, that 90 minutes defines everyone's week. Yeah. So he's had to go out and justify. You know, it wasn't the greatest interview I've ever heard. I, I think sort but of reminded me of Paul Brush in a way, but you know, it, it certainly wasn't. But at the same time, in terms of that, having watched his interview for the game before against Carlisle and last night's interview, it wasn't vastly different. You know, from what I've seen, people saying about it, oh, it's really it's really worrying that he talks like. I don't care what he comes across like in interviews. All I care about what he's like on the training pitch and what he's like in the dressing room. You know, people, there's very, you get very little, no disrespect to him or, or any other manager, but the way interviews are conducted now and what managers come out with is vastly different to, to back at what it was like when we were growing up. People, are, I don't know what people are expecting. They want him to sound like a mixture of Bill Shankly and Brian Clough or something. You're not going to get that. You're going to get disappointing result. This, yeah. You know, disappointing result. We move on. We take it. Yeah, always great to get the three points. It's just always a mixture of those kind of, you know, sound bites, really. Um, so to me, I think it's a bit of, it's a whole fuss about nothing, really. Well, I've got a question I want to put to the panel. And this is a question from my friend uh, Jimmy Reynolds, who I sit with. So he said to me, he said, Bill, can you ask the panel, with the personality and aura of Justin Edinburgh, why has the club gone for someone seemingly the polar opposite in Carl Fletcher? First of all, do you think it's a fair question? Do you think it's a fair comment, Jamie? Uh, um, I think it is a fair question. Um, I suppose it all kind of depends on who's actually available. I mean, Matt Port was here last week and he was talking about when they appointed Justin, they was looking for someone with a 40% win ratio, right? Well, to be quite honest, you don't find many of those out of work. They're normally in work. And I think we were incredibly lucky to get Justin when we did at the time because he was such a great fit for us. He was the right, he was the right man at the right club at the right time. And the great thing about him is he pulled everyone with him. You know, players, supporters, coaching staff, directors, everyone went in the same direction. Everyone knew where we were going. I think this season, no one could have forecast what was going to happen in the summer. So we've been on the back foot for quite a lot from of it. The start, from yeah. the start of it. I mean, 
you, you lose your manager, you end up losing your, your strike force, and it takes time to adjust. And that's not excusing what's gone on lately, but I just kind of think we were in a little bit of a, a funny void. I don't know any new managers come on into a club on the back of three pre wins in the previous games. That's a bit so. Anything after that seems a little bit flat. And I know we've not been playing well, but it's it is it is a valid point. But like I said I think it's all down to who is available. Yeah, Sam. Um, I'm going to disagree. I don't think it is a fair comment. We we feel like we knew Justin because um, as you know, as the quote was, he got us and we got him, and we had him for you know a season and a, and a half or whatever it was. Um, so we you know we got to know him because we had time with him and we had an amazing you know one of the best seasons ever with him um Carl Fletcher's been in five minutes um and nobody sort of if we'd got a manager like Derek Adams or Phil Parkinson or whatever you sort you feel like you know them because you've seen them interviewed and whatever not many people have seen Carl Fletcher interviewed and then the first time we his first interview was off the back of a one-all draw uh well you know a four-nil defeat a one-all draw um you know, a uh, one-nil defeat and a, a penalty win in the in the paint pot. So, it's not like he's he's going to be going out there with maximum personality and enthusiasm, is it? Because he's still he's got a job to do. He's got to build the 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 team that he he sees fit with what he's got. And also the other thing is, with what he's walked into, it's an unusual situation in many respects because we were just looking as Matt, as Matt Porter said uh, uh, last week. We we're just looking for one person. Most people come in with their backroom staff and they can, you know, they've got a different situation to work with. We were only ever looking for one man to come in and work within an existing setup. Now that is unusual, and he's, you know, add to that, like Jamie said, he's not managed in the league for for a while. He's come from a different system. He's come from a different setup at Bournemouth. So there's all these things that we, you know, you've got to take into account. Do you think the Premier League? media training has a lot to answer for and the reason I say that is because he's come from a Premier League club he's played a lot of his football in a higher division you know I mean he was captain of his country he was captain of the clubs that he's played for you know surely he has to have inspirational and leadership qualities to have done those jobs Stephen Gerrard so, captained Liverpool and I'm yet to see an interesting quote from Stephen Gerrard you know ever it's it, it might be that I don't know if it's the media training you get at that level. I just think it's football in general. You're not really allowed to say anything that's, you know, that interesting, really. There's there's more pressure and more... Um, everyone who thinks they've got an insight into the game has a voice now on Twitter, on message boards and all that sort of thing. So there's more pressure put on managers from the start. You know, we had somebody before the Carlisle game going round going, he's got to go, he's got 100%, you know, defeat record. <laughs> Brilliant. What an amazing stat that is after one game. So you know, people have never felt more informed. Yeah, doesn't mean that they and are. They, doesn't mean they so don't know anything. Whatever yeah. the manager says is going to be jumped on and picked apart, like we're doing now yeah. with the man who gave an interview after we'd lost, lost to the team bottom of the league and was probably fuming, wanted to get back into the dressing room and crack a few heads. And people are going, "Well, it doesn't sound too inspiring, does he? You know, would you rather inspire the fans and not the players? You sure. know, which you can't have it. You know, not not everyone's going to do do everything. Yeah." Um, so that's my thought on it. Steve, have you heard the interview at all? I have. I've, well, I've heard the interviews since Cole has been with us, and sure. I, I think you know what I'm going to say. Perhaps is is obvious, but it's something that we should perhaps focus on. That Cole is an outsider. Yeah. For the first time since everything's happened, Justin's passing. It's been a close knit family. Everyone's pulled tighter together. Ross has come in, done a fantastic job. In, incredible circumstances and the upturn in form towards the end of his time as as the interim manager uh, meant that 
you know, while things are looking a lot better, deep, deep down, everyone's still hurting. Yeah. You know, so you've got to realise that. And the sensitivity about the whole situation, we don't know what's going on, obviously, in the players' hearts, in their minds, when they're going out during a game. It doesn't matter what the manager, whoever the manager is, is saying, talking to them. And when they're out on the pitch, you know, certain things will come into their minds, memories, flashbacks during a game. But when Justin was here, yeah. you know? Yeah, so but they're, well, left, they're left alone, you know, at the moment, and they, to a fair degree, they still are. And I think perhaps sometimes we're overlooking it. We've got the, the new head coaching, we're thinking, okay, we're moving, we're moving on, but maybe we haven't moved on yet. And it's making the job particularly hard for Carl, and obviously the lads trying to still cut the terms with Justin's passing. I mean, it's a, that's a really good point you make, because to be fair, as we've said before, the grieving process is a long, is, can be a long process. It can it can last for different different periods of time for different people. And actually, this is the first time in that process that someone new has now come in and is now doing um, a job outside of the family, as it were. Almost. Even when we've won a game, with Ross like you know mm. they're celebrating they're being the bar after the state and suddenly they're realising well should we be doing this you know yeah. should we be really cheering and, and be really happy about things hold back a bit you know the mind games and everything you know so I'm sure a lot of people at the club are working hard to try and help the players through this now um, including Alan, Alan Comfort even and players like that Chaplin's getting involved in all types of work you know behind the scenes and uh, I'm sure there's a long way to go as well I suppose my next question would be then, other than winning games, what can Carl Fletcher do to endear himself to the fans? Jamie? I think... It, or, is it, or is it just about winning football? Do you know matches? what? I think once he's settled in and he gets a few wins on the ball, I think things will calm down. I mean, we had the same kind of debate against Ross Embleton, didn't we? You know, when he was struggling, all of a sudden, three wins. Changes the whole vibe about the place. Yeah. So, I think he's got an idea where he wants to go. When he was talking in that interview, he did make the point about, you know, players being adaptable. So I'm sure he's got ideas in his head the way he wants his squad to play. And it's going to be a change. I mean, we've done things a certain way here at this club for the best part of three years. And, you know, it's been turned on its head. And now we've got a guy, an outsider, as everyone said, he's got to in, install his personality, you know, for his sake, as much as everybody else's. Because everyone, to be deep, deep down, I think... In, People want to give him a fair go. Yeah. I mean, to be talking about outing him after three games is just like ridiculous. We're getting into Bichetti territory, aren't we? Yeah, well, mm. and you know, maybe that's an actual, maybe that's a thing. I mean, um, obviously we got used to it under Bichetti and have we become conditioned to it as fans, as a fan base now? Is it the sort of thing where we're looking and we're going, well, you know, maybe we are needing to get rid early doors just because of the experiences we had through Bichetti no I don't think it's that I, I think it's football in general you know, you know any manager's just a, a few bad games away from this sort of talk and uh, and possibly old Hebo um, we were, we did get used to it under that Italian fella um, I'm glad that we're not used to it anymore uh, it was forced upon us as Steve says the, um, over the summer um, and we've just got to just got to get through it and we were always going to bring someone in who wasn't part of the Orient family, as it were, and if you know, if we are a family, give the guy time. Yeah, give the guy time. You know, no one sort of sets out to go to go to Morecambe and lose one nil, or you know, or you know, or not or not inspire people. Yeah, you know, we've got we've got plenty of time to get this right. So let's get behind him and, and see what he can do. He's going to bring a philosophy. He's going to bring a way he wants to play. You know, you've got to you've got to let him do that because there's. God knows how many keyboard warriors or experts who want to say, well, I would do this, I would do that. I'm sure you would, mate. But it's only Carl Fletcher's opinion that matters on this. 
Agreed. Uh, Steve, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, I know you want to talk to us about uh, Sunday's um, commemorations and mm. stuff. Um, so I'll hand over to you now if you want to give us some Okay, fine. Um, it's far more than just Sunday, I would, I would say, but let's focus on that. With it being Remembrance Sunday uh, and Orient having a, an early kickoff on that day, um, it means quite a few supporters are not able to go to the local um, commemorations so they can get down to the O's. Um, what I will say on the morning of the match in Coronation Gardens, uh, Leighton Royal British Legion are holding their ceremony, and it's early, it's 9.30 start, um, and it's a very big event. Um, all the dignitaries locally like, and the emergency services, youth organisations will be there, and it always gives us a chance, uh, Orient, um, to commemorate the Clapton Orient side that served in the Great War at that particular ceremony. Um, the War Memorial, if some people are not aware, actually has a, a plaque now installed on it to commemorate the Clapton Orient lads that served. And um, I formed this band, the 17th Powers Battalion Band, about 2015, um, to help coincide with all the commemorations we've been doing, visiting the Somme and to Ypres. And the band's been on those tours and it's been helping out with the Leighton Royal British Legion um, for quite a few years now. And it will be there on Sunday, um, so we'll be taking a full part in that. There'll be Last Post and Rivalli, there'll be Reeves laid on behalf of the football club and the supporters club, and Heart Midlothian as well, which I'll talk about briefly shortly. And then there's a big parade from Coronation Gardens right round to the parish church near where the fire station is, up the high road. And every year it's encouraged for all those that attend the ceremony to um, follow on behind the band and, and the Royal British Legion. And... It, it has been said, particularly this year, because it's, there's going to be some O's fans around that area early and some Morden and Tiptree fans, I'm sure. Yeah. They'll be most welcome to actually march behind the band or walk behind the band and the parade on the road uh, in, a, in a sort of a, a different way to what marches previously have taken place in Leighton with supporters like, you know, in the bad old days. So it's something that we should perhaps grasp and really encourage supporters to come along this Sunday and get a bit of a football slant on things and have people focused on what the footballers did over 100 years ago. Um, my, my research has been going on for over 20 years now. Um, so when it comes to the Orient's game on Sunday, again, there will be an act of remembrance before the um, start of the match. And uh, at half-time, 17th Powers will be parading on the pitch. Um, and they play music from around the time of the First World War. And uh, we're very proud to do that. We've been doing playing at some very high-profile events at the Guildhall um, and also we've uh, um, been invited actually to um, play at the Tower of London next summer as well. Oh, fantastic. Um, we played at um, Haven, Haven House Hospice, Liverpool Street Station and Waterloo and every single occasion that we perform, the story of Orient's contribution to the Great War is told and we're bringing it to such a wide audience and I can't under underestimate what I'm trying to say, I'm, what I'm trying to say is that um, the goodwill shown by so many people from outside the club, when you talk about not only what Clapton Orient did, but all the footballers did a hundred years ago, you know, it's, it's incredible to think how would footballers of today react in a, in a situation? They wouldn't be allowed to go off, obviously, the agents and all that is obvious, but and society's changed totally. But I think people, unless they have heard about what the footballers did, would think that it wouldn't. It, it, it's an unbelievable story. They were paid a good amount of money a hundred years ago, footballers. They, they were stars then. 
you know. And uh, the fact is that when war started, football continued, whilst rugby stopped just like that because most of the players were at college and universities were snapped up as officers. The cricket season had ceased. They weren't really involved in all this. But football continued and it was seen as a way of... um, deflecting away the worries of war that people could relax and go and watch a game at the weekend but as soon as the casualty figures started coming through supporters turned on the players supporters of their own side were abusing the players verbally throwing things at them and all sorts of things and it wasn't until people stopped going through the turnstiles that all the authorities thought we've got to do something about this and it was uh, um, George McRae up in Scotland the uh, MP for East Edinburgh he thought it would be a great idea to get his local side Hart Midlothian to join up into their regiment the 16th Royal Scots which they did and overnight public opinion was swayed and they were seen as almost heroes like and attendances swelled and that so he told the guys down in London at Westminster and the war office what had happened and uh, it was thought a good idea to form this pals battalion the 17th Middlesex the footballers battalion and everyone knows I'm sure most people know that Orient joined up en masse, 41 player, staff and supporters. Incredible story. And, um, you know, losing three star players was terrible and 10 players wounded, you know, and uh, they were they were going to do really good things in the league, but that's, that's of secondary importance. What they did do, they secured the future of football because it could have been closed down by the way things were going. And Orient should be very proud of what they did to make sure that professional football continued in the way it did and, and, and grow. And other clubs from around the country followed Orient's example and did likewise join up into the regiment and also their local outfits as well. So with that in mind also, you know, the Osa Memorial Fund, of which I'm chairman, uh, along with my colleagues Peter Kitchen, uh, Malcolm McCarthy and Alex um, Hutt, um, all on a committee, we, we've been working really hard to build closer ties with Hearts. And this weekend, uh, my colleagues are going up there firstly to see Hart, Hearts play against St Mirren, although I'm sure that game won't be much of a, a spectacle the way Hearts are playing at the moment. So, uh, But we're all used to it being O's fans, so in, in, in a nicer sort of way of saying that, they're going up there for the game and also for the weekend. They've been invited to join up with an organisation called uh, the McRae's, um, McRae's Battalion Trust, named after George McRae's Battalion. There's a nickname for the Royal Scots. And uh, there are going to be commemorations there. There's going to be meals and dinners and all sorts of important uh, events taking taking place. And that follows on for joint commemorations that took place on the Somme this year, where we laid wreaths at both memorials, one of the O's Memorial in Fleurs and one for the 16th Royal Scots at Longerval, just down the road from the village where the, o- the O's Memorial is. And it's, it's building up, it's building up. And a lot of this is thanks to a, a guy by the name by Gary Tate, MBE, who came to see our play, The Greater Game, this time yeah. last year. Uh, a military man, he's seen active service in the British Army. And he was so taken aback by the story. And he went back and told his colleagues uh, at the McRae's Battalion Trust about what we were doing with the play and also all the other commemorations that it was deemed that we should try and build closer ties. At this time, Gary was... Um, diagnosed with uh, terminal cancer and he passed away during the summer which was very sad but his legacy enabled us to build these closer ties and that's what we'll be doing we really really hope at some stage that the two clubs will come together and try and do something um, it's all of a positive nature out of so much uh, tragedy over the years with the war and the, the, the veterans as they, what they're suffering uh, and it'd be great for football to be seen in a real positive light that the two clubs can do this you know so that's, that's sort of what's going on. Saturday morning, when the band's also playing in the Hyams Park, so we're busy, okay. you know, so uh, lots of things going on. 
So, but thank you for the opportunity uh, to allow me to talk about this. I think I've covered most of it. Um, I think the only other thing to say is that we're looking for recruits as well. So any O's fans out there that can play a bugle in particular, please come and see me. It'd be great to have you on board. Oh, fantastic. Thank yeah. you so much, Steve. That's brilliant. I think that deserves a round of applause. Ah. <laughs> There's so much more to do as well. Thank you. Do you know, I mean, one of the things that uh, I would love to see, and I, I don't like half and half scarf. I think they're like the death of football. But if there was a half and half scarf with Orient and Haas on it, I believe that would be something that would go down really, really well with fans and, and mm. uh, certainly as a commemorative thing. And if the money could go to a charity, um, the Royal British Legion or something along those lines, mm. I think that would be something that would be uh, that would be really, really good. But I can't so, underestimate how strongly the Royal British Legion really want the support of everyone on Sunday. Yeah. Those that are around, if they can make it, please come along, 9.30 at Coronation Gardens. Yeah, lovely. So any O's fans around the, around the ground at that time, maybe you only get, get some breakfast nice and early and stuff, 9.30 Coronation Gardens, please join in. It'll be lovely to see you all there. Thank you ever so much, Steve. appreciate okay. that. Thank you. Okay, so we move on to the Brighton review then. So uh, it was one-all draw, uh, which we won on penalties, and uh, two good saves from Sarge in the penalty shootout. Uh, but I will go through the starting lineup. So we started with Sergeant in goal, uh, Judd, Ekpeteta, Turley and Ogie at the back. Or um, Kiprianu, JMD, and Clay in the middle of the field. Louis Dennis, Alabi, and Brophy. Uh, Jamie. Yeah, nice change. Nice change. Quite an open game, which is good. I'm. I like the way Maguire Drew plays in these kind of games because he gets more time on the ball and expresses himself. Mm. And I just kind of think, you know, if we could just find a place for him in the setup for the league games. You know, he could be a real find for us. It's just quite frustrating player to watch he's but, very in and out of the game he runs hot and cold yeah he, he does brilliant thing but he's, he's he's got something about him he's got that extra little bit of quality and you know it, it kind of shone through a bit last night and the game was I think Taylor made an under 21 game you know it's not going to be a battle so we can play a bit more football I thought Brighton came out and attacked us they could have been two or three up Second half performance, much better. I thought we kind of imposed ourselves a little bit and towards the end, you know, to be quite honest, we should have we should have won the game. We had enough, a little bit of luck at the end, hit the post a couple of times, two cleared off the line. Mm. And uh, Louis Dennis with a nice goal from a nice chip in from Jordan Maguire. Yeah. So, Which will do him the world of good. As it well, will Louis do does. everyone the world of good. Obviously, Kiprianu's debut, solid. It's like that see. Shadrach got a run. So, a uh, good night's work for Orient. Eventually, I think that our friend Mr. Flesh will be happy with that. You know, he'll, 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 he'll see a few players maybe in different lights. Maybe you'll see a different starting lineup again for the cup tie. Sam, do you think Hector Kiprianu has uh, maybe put himself in with a shout of uh, starting on, starting on um, Saturday potentially? Yeah, well, these, that's what these games are for. Eight changes from, uh, from the Saturday game. Um, you want to see people come in, especially people <coughs> like Hector, and you know, it's good for him to get his debut. In what you could fairly well and fairly call a bit of a nothing game, you know, I'm not, I'm sure that no one in the fans are going to be. But this is our chance to finally lift the Leasing.com trophy. But not nothing know. to him though, as his well, full debut. No, exactly, so. exactly. So you, you blood in, you get Sarge gets game time, which is good, always good for a keeper. You know, completely different back four. Uh, with Marv stepping back to, to centre back, Jamie Turley getting a, an hour, which Good is great. Good to see Jamie back. Yeah, yeah love a bit of Jamie. Um, Juddy coming back again off a, off a, an injury to, to play right back, which has been a problem for us for the past few weeks. With even um, George Marsh stepping back in there, so you know, it'd be interesting to see who plays there on Saturday. Um, but yeah, a, a full day, mm. you know, a debut for Hector that is uh, 
that's good, that's good news. And also playing alongside Craig Clay, who was, who was captain. So he's look, got to look at his experience and probably no doubt he was giving him you know advice throughout the game on the on on where to be and what and what to do. Um, and the the lads up front getting a a good run as well. And Dennis happy that he scored the goal. And yeah, I'd encourage. I know a lot of people are. Um, Myself included, are not are not mad keen on this um, this competition. But the extended highlights on the Orient website shows, especially after it was one all, there's a lot of action at both ends, mm. and we were very very unlucky. Twice in the 95th minute, cleared off the line. JMD with some really good efforts, you know, just just wide with a great um, free kick. Well, he got a free kick save, and there was a nice little curling shot he did in the in the second half as well. Um, so yeah, plenty of action uh, for the 709 in attendance. Whilst we're on Brighton as well, uh, good to see that uh, Stephen Alzati has been uh, called up to the Colombian squad, the, the full squad as well. So oh, uh, congratulations that. to him. So yeah, so he's getting rave reviews at the moment down there. Yeah, he is. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I'm, I mean, I'm not a big fan of the Premier League, but uh, I have watched a few of Brighton's games recently that have, won, that have been on the telly and stuff, and uh, he's playing really, really well. Really, he's really well. He's putting himself so. about a bit. It's just a shame mm. it's not for us. Yes, but, uh, yes. I would say that the, um, also trying to take as many positives out of, of this game as possible, good to see us scoring four out of five penalties as well. Yeah. Because if, you yeah. know, if Wright is not, not picking the ball up, then that would be, uh, you know, a little bit of a worry, yeah. but that's good. It all, that penalty shoot had two things that I love. A goalkeeper scoring, it's always great to see a keeper scoring. Admittedly, it was their keeper. And also a Penenka that didn't work. I know it was Louis Dennis. <laughs> I know it was Louis Dennis and, and, and fair play for trying it, but I, I, I'm not a fan of the Penenka. I do love that. I mean, the keeper got his hands to it. I booted it in, you know, out onto Brisbane Road myself if I'd have been in goal. So, yeah. <laughs> Top penalty shootout work. Okay, so we move on then to the post-match interview. Now, I think a lot of Orient fans were actually... <clears throat> anticipating the interview more than they were <laughs> the game uh, after what happened on Saturday. So, this is my take on it to start off with and then I'll pass it over to the panel. I thought that at the beginning, Carl Fletcher was a little bit standoffish. I think he seemed on guard, which, again, given I'm sure he will have read and maybe uh, been told about the uh, things that were mentioned about his interview on Saturday, is understandable. I like the fact that he praised... Hector and Sarge and I do think that he seemed to warm into the interview I do think as it went on he loosened up a little bit and um, he, he started to open up and I like the fact that he's setting high standards the fact that he said we're nowhere near where we want to be and I also like the suggestion and Jamie you touched on this earlier on actually about the idea of that fluid movement he mentions which suggests to me that he wants to play an attacking style of football where we pass a move rather than a more rigid style um, so hence why potentially he's not gone to a 4-4-2 yeah, I think all new coaches want to impose their style and personality on their side. I should think that you're right in, in saying that he's looking to get us to play a more attacking game. But again, it's having the personnel to do it. So he's either got to coach that into those players or bring new players in. I just, I just think that it's going to take time for that transition. I think... At the moment, we're going to see a lot of games that we're going to be a bit disjointed. And until they've got a side that you can kind of rely on, a, a balance and a blend of players and find and find a formation that fits and works, we, we, it's not going to be flowing football from the off. I think once we hit our stride, I think we'll be OK. Yeah, I think, you know, 
like I think Dave asked him, you know, a lot of um, fans uh, not enamoured with seeing us play one up front at home, and his response was, "But it's not one up front, you know." So if you, you could call it a four-five-one, or you could, you know, call it a, a four-three-two-one, whatever, Chris, you know, any sort of formation you, you know, you want to say in terms of the numbers, he's like you say, Bill. He's saying, you know. He's dropping hints that, that that's the sort of style that he wants to play. One up front doesn't mean everybody behind the ball lumbers the big lad up front. That's not what his style of football is he about. He mentioned the idea of attacking as a unit and defending as a unit. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's his, um, you know, a lot of what he's saying does make sense. Again, somebody on the the message board was saying he's talking more like a coach. Well, that is his role. His role is head coach, and that is where his strength is. I don't see that that's a, a problem. If by you know, I'd rather hear um, you know a manager talking about how he wants us to play and what he thought was good and you know in, in terms of throughout the game when we're not in possession and then changing from you know, winning the ball back to then setting up an attack that makes more sense to me than just you know the usual kind of managerial platitudes of great to get the points we move on to next week you know I'd rather hear about what he's thinking about how he's going to make us play well this is interesting because we had a uh, we had a question come into the show about this with regards to people saying well he's sort of suggesting what, how he wants to say but he's not saying how he's going to do it now, to me, he doesn't he's have not going to say how he's going to do it because otherwise the team that we're playing on Saturday will go, oh, he's going to do that. <laughs> Lovely, thank you ever so much. This is what we're going to yeah. do to combat that. Yeah, as long as the players know what he's talking about, that's the most important thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah there you go. Okay, so, um, well, to me, as I say, I think it was a much better interview. I think he's warming into it. Um, and if his interviews continue to get better and better like this, then, you know, as I say, I, I still believe that you know, we've got real potential here. I also think that we need to think about the injuries to the squad yeah. currently. You look at the availability of players. We've got Leanne injured. We've got Connor Wilkinson injured. The two strikers that we signed as our main strikers in the summer to replace the goals that we lost uh, through uh, Bon and Karoma. Yeah. We've also missed Joby McEnough this season. Again, I don't think Joby would have played a huge part necessarily on the pitch in every game but certainly those leadership skills bringing him on off the bench that's you know something that you cannot replace mm. it was the same last year even a great season last year when Joby was at the team yeah it yeah. wasn't the same yeah, yeah. You would you know you would use him for those important games where you need experience in there where you need a cool head in in the middle and you know he's not going to be getting down up and down the pitch playing 96 minutes each week but what a valuable asset to have mm. if we can get him back playing if we can get him fit if that's the plan you know? If we can't get him back, someone's got to step up, mm. yeah. and that's the thing. That's, that's the thing. I think we've sort of missed for a little while. There's no one who can actually impose themselves for this side and just drive them on a little bit when a game gets tough. I do think Josh Wright tries to do that. I do think Josh Wright tries to do that, um, but again, he's not got Joby's level of experience, and, no. you know, and you can't buy that. And that's the thing, you know. So, right, we're going to move on to another section of the show now, and we're going to try something, and I hope it works. If it doesn't work, I'm just going to feel for a little bit. So <laughs> here we go. Uh, this is going to be called the Rumor Mill. So this week we have been 
inundated with rumours about what is going on at the club and what have you. So we're going to discuss a few of those rumours, things that have been brought to our attention. Now, before I do this, I am going to give, do a bit of a caveat to say we are not agreeing with any of these. We are not saying any of them are necessarily true. We are simply discussing them because I think it's important because it's been raised. Great so here's content. the first rumour that has been raised that the club have closed down the unofficial website, the unofficial fans forum. So, what do we think? Have the club closed down the unofficial forum? Shall we give them, like, uh, Mark's set a 10 believability factor? Yes, as we go, on, go for it. Okay. 10. <laughs> <laughs> two, that two out of 10. That wasn't the question of, do the club want to close it down? It's that, yeah. have they? So. I'd say two out of 10 believability. Two out of ten believability. See, my thing with this, first of all, it's impossible. It's an unofficial fans forum. The club have nothing to do with it. So unless, you know, they've paid someone off in America to do something with the servers, it's absolutely impossible to do. My second thing would be, as if the fans forum people think that their opinions are that important that anyone would take that much notice, they would want to close them You've thrown us under the last forum now, Bill. Yes, we've had it now. That. Thanks, Bill. Yeah. It's all right. The reviews from my shows are always poor anyway, so that's fine. <laughs> Fill your boots, guys. <laughs> Sam, go on. No, I, I, cool, I think, um, well, not. I don't go on that forum to post I, I do lurk and I do read what goes on there there, there were two forums at the moment one's, one's you know still up and running one isn't and one seems to be a lot more positive and one seems to be a lot more negative but you know as to who shut it down I don't know I suspect Donald Trump or Russian interference probably is <laughs> the most likely outcome Jamie do not make a political joke here because no. I'm warned <laughs> about well, I cannot do that okay so I'm moving on before you get me in trouble alright okay so the next rumour to uh, hit our uh, our ears or eyes wherever you may see uh, is a fallout with Carl Fletcher and some of the senior players in training what do we think Jamie I can see well, you chomping at the bit here um, depending Depends what you mean by fallout. I mean, after Saturday, he could have just called one or two out and said, you could have done a bit better for that goal. You could have done a bit better for that piece of play. And, you know, opinions are exchanged. Now, that happens at every football club. You know, that happens at a lot of places of work. You know, you're going to have fallen out. It doesn't mean there's been a fight. It doesn't mean that, you know, people have thrown a massive drop. I, a believability factor, probably five or six out of ten. But it doesn't mean to say that it's gone nuclear, so to speak. So, yeah, there might have been a disagreement or two, but that's only to be expected. Like I said, we've got a new new guy coming in. He's got a new Stamina's philosophy. Authority. Yeah, Stamina's authority. Because what, you know, Martin Ling, years ago, when he took over Money in Orient, had a fallout with Lee Thorpe and bombed him out of the club. And people just looked around and said, well, this guy's serious. And two years later, he took us out of the fourth division and got us a promotion. So, you know, he's got to obviously show him who's boss, but it also shows that he's not going to be walked over. So I wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me, but I don't think it's bad as few people making out. Sam, out of 10? 10. Well, I just think, you know, if you talk about a falling out, every week players will fall out with their manager because they're not playing or they've been picked on for a goal they feel wasn't their fault. Um, as it happens, we are in the bottom third of League Two at the moment, and so it's all doom and gloom. Were we riding high top? There'd be a falling out, but it shows passion. It shows the players want to win. 
you know so I guarantee somebody will not be happy at the club at the moment and that'll be the same next week week after week after for the next hundred years um, so there's always going to be rumours I think it's very interesting there's a lot of rumours at the moment where people are you know not fully behind the new manager yet when we're not in the position that we want to be um, and that's when that's when rumours start um, so yeah Bring on the next rumour. Talking of bring on, do you think that uh, during that bust up he used the phrase bring your dinner? Do you think that would have been I think that's copyright protected. There's only only one man, (laughs) one man who can use that effectively. I'm not talking Andy Gilson. I'm talking, yeah, the the main man himself. Okay, so the next rumour to come to us is a bust up with Webby over tactics, which, uh, which by uh, according to the rumour mill, and again we are saying that not saying there's any truth in this. It's simply what's been reported to us. Uh, it it was very close to coming to blows. What do we think, Sam? I'm going to come to you first of all with this one. Out ten. Of ten. ten. Um, it was probably over Tic Tacs rather than tactics. No idea. No idea. It, did it happen? No. Of course it didn't happen. Did it, maybe it did happen. Who cares? Um, <laughs> uh, that is that is my honest opinion about all these these flipping rumours. Um, yeah, ten. Ten. It definitely happened. Come on. Jamie. Uh, possibly five out of ten. You never can tell. I'm, I'm sure that Danny's as passionate as anyone at this club probably feels that he might have even should have had a go at managing it but do you know what at the moment everyone's just settling into a new regime you know it, it comes with the territory you know I wouldn't say there's a major power struggle going on but you know people have got their views and they're going to air them and, and do you know what it, it's better than to come out now and then we can sort it out and then move on yeah Steve I reckon about a six I mean it's what I said earlier about the players still going through the morning process and the whole club is moments of intense pressure on the training ground even an incident might have happened heavy tackle or something turns around but the two of the players are having a go at each other manager or the coach gets involved either gets brought into the situation you know even the coaching staff between them at the moment people are still under a lot of stress you know and at the same time they're, they're trying to calm it down so their emotions are all over the place yeah, yeah, and, and as I say, everyone's finding their feet. So we think potential, you know, we're, it looks like a bit of a mixed bag, a five or six out of ten for the truth behind that. Yeah. Okay, and so the last one uh, that came to me, and this was uh, something that was mentioned, was both senior players at both Orient and other clubs, so Plymouth was mentioned, were shocked by Carl's appointment. Ooh, I know. Oh, that's controversial. Being, being shocked. Um, ten. <laughs> I don't care, Bill. I don't yeah. care. It's, it's, it's I, rubbish, I, isn't it? That it's could, rubbish. That could be a 10 because I think they probably had money on Derek Adams getting it and he's yeah. got the Morecambe today. So. That would be yeah, more shocked that they didn't, yeah, know, didn't clean bet, up. Bet didn't come in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bet, bet 365 have cleaned up. <laughs> what do we make of the fake press release that someone composed as well? <laughs> and we've seen this. I an love, Orient I fan brilliant. And fake Fake, fake, composed. I'd, I'd yeah. advise them to get a spell checker on their computer. <laughs> I thought it was Angelieri. Yeah, he's, um, you know, he's, he's got good, he, his contact has been ripped up and he's the, apparently not the head coach, he's the head manager. Not a job I'd want. Um, but, um, and then the other thing was he was sat due to underlining issues. What does that mean? <laughs> Can't use a ruler. Uh, yeah. you know, so <laughs> it was pretty obvious it was a fact. What gets me is if someone's taking the trouble to write that. Why? Someone, Why? Someone's made, made the effort to go and write a fake press release 
and send it out to people. And go but they've not this. taken the time to spell check it. Exactly. Do it properly. I, I, I think they shouldn't bother. They should, there's a lot of good TV on at the moment. Catchphrase, 8 o'clock, high TV. That's a, a Sunday night. That's a, that's a good one. Other channels are available. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll move on then to we'll move on then to looking forward and looking ahead to the FA Cup game on uh, Sunday. Now, I don't know about anyone else, but uh, I'm a bit nervous about this because um, yeah, I've yeah. been doing a bit of research on Malden and Tiptree, yeah. and I'm just going to give you some stats about what I found out. So for those people that don't know Malden and Tiptree, they don't know where they where they come from. They're based in Malden in Essex. Their nickname is the Jammers. Um, they're an amalgamation of two clubs. Uh, so the two clubs originally were Malden Town and Tiptree United, and they joined or amalgamated in 2010 to create one club playing in Malden. Uh, they play in red and blue stripes. Currently, they're in the Isthmian League North and they're second behind Berry Town. However, they've got three games in hand and if they win those games in hand, they will go top. They've won all of their league games this season, scoring 25 goals and only conceding four. This is the first time they've reached the FA Cup first round proper. And players who have played for both Orient and Morden and Tiptree include Jimmy Walker, Barry Lakin, Simon Clark, Matthew Briggs and Lee Barnard. Their danger man is a young man called Jerome Slew, who's already scored 20 goals this season in 20 appearances. However, having said all of that, they've also got two other strikers, Charlie Hughes, who scored 17 goals in 19 games, and Danny Parrish, who scored 16 goals in 20 games. So between them this season, so far, their strikers have scored 53 goals. <laughs> Now, I don't know about anyone else, but given the fact that we haven't been the tightest defensively recently, my palms are sweating. I'm not surprised. This is banana skin, <laughs> or a whole bunch written all over it. So, I just think it might be a good idea for Fletcher to play a very strong team this week weekend. Um, I looked at the same stats as you did. They've had uh, 55 goals in all, you know, all competitions. So they've got a strike force to be reckoned with. If we take them easy at any part on Sunday, we could end up being severely embarrassed. That being said, we're at home, so we should be looking to get on the front foot right from the off. Don't give them the chance to settle and take the game to them. Yeah, I mean, they, the other stat, the other couple of stats, just you know, just in case anyone is terrified now hiding on the bed after Billy's you know, doom and gloom report there. I'm just stating are, facts, just stating yeah, facts. That's all I'm doing. They are also the lowest ranked team left in the competition. They play at the eighth tier, um, so you know, I'm not saying you know, that means we don't have to respect them. That those stats speak for themselves. It, what it does mean is it's going to be a good game. So I think if anyone was you know considering giving it a swerve on Sunday, I'd I'd say come down. Um, I do like these these games um, gives you a chance to sort of sit elsewhere on the ground, shadow that I am, um, and you know it's it's it, it should be good. You know decent um, opposition. They're bringing at the moment. I think there's four coach loads of fans coming down. Oh yes, yeah, not a, not a far trip. And they're for doing them, a they? um, a special shirt as well for the FA Cup. So they are they're bang up for it. So as Jamie said, we need to be you know treating them with respect and playing a strong team. This is not one to be like we were last night and flood it with a massive change. No, we're going to need a decent defence for this one. A good workout for that. So I'm glad Jamie Turley's had a, a 60-minute run out. Um, but you would think, you know, that they're going to come at us with everything. They've got these, you know, the three guys up front. They are part-time. They should tire. You know, we should be professional enough to get the job done. We've got to be in that hat. We've got to be in that hat for the second round. You know, Carl Fletcher knows this, so he will not be underestimating this game at all. I'm really looking forward to it. 
I mean, one. they're a good football inside. I saw them last. I saw them play last season in their playoff game when they played against Haybridge Swifts, and uh, you know, Haybridge won the game. They are a decent football inside. You know, they try and knock the ball around. They've got a solid defence. Um, you know, their defenders are proper defenders uh, so you know anyone who thinks this is going to be a walkover is in for a bit of a shock but well, we had a decent game away when we went to Telford last year you know thinking about that that was a, a, a decent battle you yeah. know it wasn't good for the heart and it felt like it lasted about four hours but that was a good game away away at Telford yeah that was a, a tough um, tough test they had, they had um, you know decent back line there and it was a it was a proper proper game of football that and I'm hoping that we get the same on uh, on Sunday as long as we go through at the end of it yeah yeah, and we also got to, you know, take our strengths to them as well. Like, Absolutely. Like to James Brophy and George Maguire Drew taking them on. You know, getting down the flanks and getting with pace into the penalty area. Quite right. We can run them. We can run yeah. them. Um, you know, th- it's important, like you say, looking at all these stats to to take them seriously. But you know, we're no mugs. We sh- we should have enough. Doesn't always work like that, but we we should have enough. Fingers crossed. Okay, everybody, that is the end of the show today. Thank you so much for our guest. Thank you to Steve. Uh, Steve, just quickly, just to uh, go over what you said before, 9.30, Coronation Gardens, uh, there's a memorial service on Sunday, uh, obviously before the game, and then that goes into uh, a march. Is that correct? Yeah, from from the Coronation Gardens along the high road, yeah. So a lot of people turn out for that, and round to the parish church, which is near to where the fire station is, yeah, north of the stadium. And, uh, yeah, it's going, to be, it's going to be really good. And, and certainly the other thing to encourage the fans for is to bring their own wreaths and tributes along. They want to plant something by the memorial for one of their family members. That would be great. Lovely. Thank you for joining us today. Sam, thank you very much. Jamie, thank you for tonight. Thank you, uh, thank you all for listening, and we will see you soon. Bye-bye.